this morning we are finishing our study in the book of Galatians. And we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And really what we see Paul doing here is wrapping up and summarizing everything that he has been going over from the very beginning of chapter 1. And so we're going to be seeing about the truth of the gospel. We're going to be seeing about what it is to follow Jesus. We're going to be seeing about how important it is that we understand the merit we have before the Father. And as Paul begins to write this section, you can really kind of get his heart for the people of the churches of Galatia. You see that he is so concerned that they understand the truth of the gospel. He is so concerned that they understand that they are not saved by any work that they can perform, but that they are saved by grace through faith. And what is tragic in his heart is that he sees these teachers who have come from Jerusalem spreading their false gospel, spreading their false teaching. And he has an understanding that these false teachers, they don't even really care about the church that they're destroying. They don't have the interests of those people who have gathered together to worship the Lord. They don't have their best interests at heart. And so as we look through this passage of scripture, what we're going to see is that we're going to see the true motive of the people who have come to spread this false teaching. Paul's then going to go on to talk about the true merit that we have as we stand before God Almighty. And then we're going to see what the true marks of faith really look like. And we begin to see that as we look into verse 11. And here Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so as Paul begins the closing of his letter, he lists two different motives for the Judaizers who have come for, from Jerusalem. The first that he mentions is that, that they will avoid persecution because of the cross. See, persecution for the message of the cross is something that Paul was very familiar with. If you read through the book of Acts, you look at the hardship that Paul endured. There were times where he was stoned. There were times where he was beaten. There were times when he was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked, all for the different cause of coming and preaching the gospel to those who need it. And you sit and think to yourself, you know, well, the gospel is good news. That's what the word literally means. It's the good news that we preach. And so why would that suffer persecution? Why would someone try to avoid and sidestep the cross because they're worried about being persecuted? And yet that's exactly what we see happening in our churches today. You know, you look in different churches today and no one wants to talk about sin. No one wants to talk about God's wrath and punishment of sin. No one wants to talk about the atoning work of Jesus Christ because those things are offensive. Those things make us uncomfortable. 
And in fact, there are huge sections of Christianity in our culture today that completely sidestep the issue by saying, guess what? Jesus didn't even die for your sin. He died as maybe a sign of love. Or maybe he died to draw people to the Father. Or maybe he died to show that he was victorious over death through the resurrection. But they'll avoid the idea of saying that, no, no, Christ died in your place to pay a penalty for your sin. And yet that's exactly what the gospel teaches. See, as we go forward and we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ, if we proclaim the fact that God punishes sin, and the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin and then was raised again, well, that offends people in our culture today. It offends people to tell them that as they stand before God, they are not righteous, no matter what good works that they have done. It offends people to say that there's no other way you can be righteous other than placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You mean that I have to do it the way you say, and I have to do it in the way that God has decreed? He doesn't just love me the way I am. He doesn't just allow me forgiveness because he loves me so much. I've got to come through Jesus. No work that I do on my own is good enough. I've got to go and place all my faith in him who died for me. That kind of talk is offensive, especially to the Jews of the first century who had steeped their religion in the law. If you were to ask the Judaizers, what is it that makes you worthy to stand before the God, they would have given you a long list. Maybe they would have said, oh, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. As to zeal for the law, a Pharisee. As to as I persecuted the church. See, that's the list that Paul gives in Philippians chapter 3. When people are arguing about their merit, when people are arguing about the, the ability they have to stand before God and what they can offer, Paul says, if you think that you're righteous by works of the law, I'm more righteous by works of the law, and here's my list. But do you know how Paul follows up that list in Philippians chapter 3? He comes back and he says, I count it all as garbage. And I throw it all away. All of my accomplishment, all of my pedigree, anything that I could do on my own, I cast it aside for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and his resurrection. Paul is adamant. So long as you are holding on to your works, you cannot know Christ. So long as you are trying by your own will, power, and strength to be right in his sight, you will never know the power of his resurrection. And so Paul here again says that these false teachers who have come in to lead you astray, they don't want persecution because of the cross, so they're not going to preach the cross of Christ. They're going to preach obedience. They're going to preach morality. They're going to preach good behavior and adherence to the law. And if you do those things and then stick Jesus on top, you're good to go. And Paul says that not only do they want to avoid persecution because of the cross, at the same time, they want to boast in your flesh. So here's what Paul means by that. He means that these Judaizers who have come in, their real goal, their real motive in coming into the church in Galatia is so they can show what good teachers they are. 
so they can show what good leaders they are, so that they can go back and report to Jerusalem and say, you know, those churches in Galatia were meh. They, they weren't following the law, they weren't following the customs, they weren't following the commandments. All of these Gentile believers who have come in, they weren't doing anything that the law prescribes, but you know what? We whipped them into shape. And now they're keeping the right diet, they've been circumcised, they're in accordance with the law, they're living righteous lives. Look at the great work that we have done. And Paul says the whole reason that they've come to you is so that they can boast in your flesh. The whole reason that they come is so they can show how good they are. They don't care about you at all. Because if they cared about you, well, they would tell you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's not about how you live. It's about Christ who lived for you perfectly meeting every requirement of the law. It's about Christ who died for you in your place, taking your sin upon himself in exchange, giving you the credit for the righteous life that he lived. And it's about Christ's resurrection, a sign that the Father accepted the holy sacrifice made by Jesus on the cross and our hope that one day we too will experience a resurrection from the dead. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's about him. And Paul says these Judaizers who have come in, they've got it all messed up. They want to boast in the flesh, and they want to avoid persecution, and that's why they do what they do. And what Paul says here is that those teachers have no merit before God Almighty. Those teachers have no works that they can show that will put them in right standing with God. But Paul says there is a merit that we can have. There is a way that we can come to God and we can come to the Father and be righteous, holy, clean, and pure. And he picks that up in the next few verses. He begins in verse 14 and says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul looks at the Judaizers and he says they boast in the flesh. They boast in their works. They boast in their accomplishments. And then Paul sits there and says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ. And again, you look at Paul's history and you look at his education. Paul had the best teachers that were available at the time. Paul knew the Old Testament forwards and backwards and wrote most of the New Testament. Paul understood theology in a way that we can only dream of. At one point, he was even carried into the third heaven and shown things that he could not utter and he could not explain. 
And even as he expressed those things to the church in Corinth, he, he did so in the way that is so humble, not wanting any amount of pride or accolade for what God had done, because he understood it had nothing to do with him. Paul says, I'm not going to boast in my accomplishment. Paul says, I'm not going to boast in my pedigree. I'm not going to boast in my work. I'm not going to boast in what I've done. Because what I've done is nothing. Circumcision doesn't matter. Uncircumcision doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is this, a new creation. Paul says that in the cross that he was crucified to the world and the world had been crucified to him. And that's an odd sentence. That's an odd statement to make. What do you mean that you've been crucified to the world and that the world has been crucified to you? I mean, we hear so much about the cross that the power of the word and the power of the action is almost lost on us. We forget that to the first century people, the cross was akin to the electric chair or lethal injection or the gallows. It was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of destruction. And what Paul is saying here is that the world has been crucified to me. Which means the world is dead to me. Have you ever been on the scene of an accident where someone has died? I remember about a year and a half, two years ago, me and my kids were driving down the road. We were going to pick up lunch. And then right in front of us, there was a car accident that took place. Someone ran a stoplight. They hit a mail carrier. The mail carrier's truck tipped over. So we stop on the side of the road, and we start to see how we can help. Call 911, report the accident. And I remember as I walk around the mail truck trying to see if the mail carrier inside, whether he was okay or not, I'm looking through the window of the car. There's mail spread everywhere. I can't see anything. And then suddenly I look down at my feet, and he's gone. And the first thing I did was step back. In shock, I didn't want to be anywhere near that scene anymore. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to be a part of it. It had absolutely no appeal to me whatsoever. And that's the reaction that Paul has when he says the world has been crucified to me. It has no appeal. It has no desire. There's nothing good in it. There's nothing in it that I want to be a part of. I'm repulsed by it, and all I want to do is pull away. The world has been crucified to me. And in the same way, I have been crucified to the world. The world can't entice me to do anything because it has no power over me. The world cannot push me into sin because it has no power over me. I'm dead to it. And yet what has happened in our lives as we follow Christ? A new creation of the Spirit. That's why Paul in the first part of Galatians says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the old Paul was dead. The Paul that persecuted the church, the Paul who was so proud of his accomplishments, 
the Paul who was honored to be a Pharisee, the Paul who boasted of his heritage and his genealogy, that Paul is gone. That Paul was dead. That Paul was crucified on the cross with Jesus. So who is this person who lives this life in the flesh by faith? It is the new creation. It is the Paul who wants to serve the church and honor God. It is the Paul who loves Christ. It is the Paul who has been resurrected spiritually from the dead. And now that life he lives, he doesn't live by his own power. He doesn't live by his own authority. He doesn't even live in his own freedom to do whatever he wants to do. But he lives as a bondservant of Jesus Christ who saved him, who bought him, and who raised him from the dead. And so Paul looks at the life that he lived and he says, I can't boast in any of it. Do you think I write really good letters? It's not me. Do you think I speak really well? It's not me. If you think I have this courageous, amazing faith to go out and preach the gospel in the midst of persecution, it's not me. But this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified. I'm dead. I'm gone. It is Jesus that makes the difference. And so if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. Because it is the cross that has raised me from the dead. It is the cross that has given me new life. It is the cross that allows me to stand before you and say these things that I'm saying. It is the cross that is everything to me. And so that's what I'm going to boast in. As we live our lives as Christians, we need to understand that we have no merit of our own before the Father. The only true merit we have to stand before God is the merit that has been given to us by Jesus. See, when Jesus came to this earth, he spent approximately 33 years living day after day after day. Do you ever wonder why if the whole big point of the atonement was simply the cross of Christ, why couldn't he have just come down and gotten it done in a weekend? Why couldn't Jesus just descend from heaven, die on the cross for our sins, and then go back up to heaven again, case closed? See, the reason is, is because Jesus spent 33 years doing something we could never do for ourselves. He lived in accordance with to the law. Every day he followed the commandment that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He did that every moment of every day for the entire 33 years he was on this planet. He followed every minutia of the law, not just in the letter, but also in the spirit of the law. And he did so, so that he could earn something before God that we could never earn ourselves him in his perfect life, in his righteous living, earned righteousness for us. And in doing so, he went to the cross and the great exchange took place where our sin left from us, went to the cross of Christ, and his perfect life was then credited to our account. So when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. It's gone. It's nailed to the cross. It's finished and it's done. 
When God looks at us, he sees the perfect life of his son. When God looks at us, he declares us innocent, righteous, and holy, justified. Because that's what Jesus gave us. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died our death so we wouldn't have to. And now the gospel tells us to look to the man on the cross and be saved. To look at Jesus on the cross with faith, believing and understanding that his life and his death is sufficient for me. And because I believe that his death is sufficient, his death and his life are credited to me. And that's why I have hope of eternity. That's why I have the ability to come before God in prayer. That's why John 1 says that I've been given the right to become a child of God. Not because of any merit I have on my own, but because of the merit of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. And you know, that kind of transformation, that kind of change, that kind of new creation, that kind of life that comes as a result of placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it comes with marks. Now the Jews were looking at what the marks are of their faith. And if you were to ask a Jewish person during the first century, what is the sign of your faith? And what is the mark of your faith? How is it that you can say that you express this faith in God in a way that's tangible? The Judaizers would have said, it is our circumcision. It is that sacred rite that we go through. It is that obedience to the law that we perform. And you can see it in the very flesh of our bodies. Well, as Paul talks about what the signs of the Christian faith are, he says, you know, you can see the mark of my Christian faith in the very flesh of my body as well. Because he continues on in verse 17 saying, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. See, Paul looks at the Judaizers and he says, you boast in your circumcision. You boast in the marking of your flesh as a sign of your faith. Well, you know, I've got marks in my flesh too. See this scar? This is where I was beaten for preaching the cross of Christ. Do you see these wounds? This is where I was stoned. You see this rattle and hear this rattle in my lungs? That's where I almost drowned as I was shipwrecked. See, I bear in my body the marks of my faith because I have been persecuted for the gospel. And what Paul communicates to us in this passage is that the mark of the Christian life is one of persecution and sacrifice. This flies in the face of any kind of modern idea of prosperity and wealth gospel that you can put out. Because Paul says, look at me. I have suffered. I have known hunger. 
I have known severe cold. I have known all kinds of persecution, and I have done it all gladly, if only that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be advanced and proclaimed in this world. Because truly, Paul was willing to give up everything. He even writes to the churches and says, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to die or not, and I really struggle to figure out which one's better. Because, man, if I were to be killed for the gospel, if I were to have to give my life and be poured out as a drink offering, I would go to be with Jesus. And that's better for me. It's better than suffering here. It's better than experiencing the persecution. It's better than experiencing the hardship that comes with the gospel. I gladly bear it. But, man, if I could trade it all in and just go be with Jesus, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. He says, but... I know that if I stay here, I'm going to be of use for the gospel. And so either way, I win. Either I stay here and I suffer and God is glorified, so I win. Or my life is asked of me and it's poured out before you and I go to be with my Savior who I love and I win. The Christian can't lose. But see, we look at that life as being something exemplary. We look at that life as being something that is outstanding, that is above and beyond, that is like the impressive, holier-than-holy Christians in the world. And I think that if you were to sit down and ask Paul about that, he would say, no, that's the minimum requirement of faith. We who live out our days following Jesus Christ will face persecution. The mark of a Christian life is to be ridiculed, to be poked fun at, to lose opportunities at work, to suffer the loss of family relationships because you adhere to one thing above and beyond all others. You adhere to the cross of Jesus. And to those outside the church, that does not make sense. Why can't you just compromise a little bit so that we can all get along? Why can't you just bend the rules a little bit because our, our business is going to profit so much because of it? Why can't you just drop all this religion nonsense and just come be a part of your family? And we step back and we say, absolutely not. Because there is one thing that is more important to us than anything. And that is Christ, his cross, and the life that it brings. What marks do we have to show for our faith? What sacrifices have we made in following Jesus? What sacrifices are we willing to make as we follow Jesus? <coughs> Paul looks at the life that he lived. He looked at the scars of his body and he said, these are the marks of my faith. And he almost pleads with the Judaizers at the end of this passage when he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. It's as if Paul's looking at them and saying, like, listen, you in your, your cushy establishment with your good salary and your comfortable living, you Judaizers who have come in as authority figures to be honored and praised and looked up to, he said, don't trouble me anymore. Because, child, I have suffered things you do not know for the sake of the gospel. And if you were true preachers of the word of God, you would be doing the same. 
it is so important that we not forget that the promises that we have in the gospel do not promise us wealth, do not promise us prosperity, don't promise us health. They don't even promise us safety. What we are promised is this, is that those of us who are faithful, those of us who believe, those of us who place all of our hope in Jesus, we will not be put to shame. That one day we will stand before the Father and he will make all things right. He will judge the wicked and put them in their place. He will reward the righteous deeds of his children. And he will allow us to pass into a peace that we have never known. We will pass into a place where death is no more. Where sorrow is no more. Where there is no more mourning. But there is only life, joy, and peace. Because we will be with our Father forever. That's the promise of the gospel. We don't get all of our good things here, but we get the best things in the future when we are with our Father again. So I encourage you, this gospel message that Paul has been preaching and preaching and preaching for six chapters now, hold on to it. During hard times and difficult times, hold on to the gospel. During times of prosperity and wealth, Hold on to the gospel. During times where you think your path is straight and you know exactly what you're doing, hold on to the gospel. And during times when darkness crowds from all sides and you don't know which way you should turn, hold on to the gospel. Because if you can do that, seeking first the kingdom of God, well then all these other things that we need will be added unto us by the grace and blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that as we stand before you, it's not something we have to earn or hold on to or maintain under our own power. But Lord, it is in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ that we are saved. It is in the strength of his hand that our salvation is maintained. And it is the power of his decree that we know one day we will stand before you in all of eternity, worshiping you in purity, free from sin in every single form. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your kingdom. Thank you for providing the merit we need so that we can be your children. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.